He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but a count of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you were like me, when you heard the scripture reading going on, if you grew up in Sunday school, perhaps you heard a little song going on in your head about a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And yet today, though this is a very familiar song or very familiar story, I want us to know that this is not just a mere child's story. This is God's word. And so what I simply want to ask is that the Lord would help us to see this not as just a mere child's story, but as God's word. So if you would please pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, what a pleasure it is to be here with your people this morning. Father, of all the things that we could be doing, what greater thing is it to come and to worship your beautiful name and to hear from your word? And so, Father, I simply want to ask that you would do what only your Holy Spirit can do which is to speak here to your people. Lord, we have come hungry. We have come ready to hear what you have for us today. And Father, I ask in me, a weak man, that you would help me to remember that, God, this is your word. And so, Father, um, strengthen me, help me, and help all of us, Lord, that we would walk away saying, what a great God we serve and know. Father, we ask all of this in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. There was a man that was born August 23rd, 1948, and he was the third of 14 children. Yeah, that's right. I said the third of 14 children. So imagine you parents, if we think groceries are expensive now, imagine your Costco run with all of those gallons of milk and imagine taking care of a family of 14. This family grew up in the outskirts of Chicago, and this man's father was a mine worker. So you can imagine in the 40s, trying to take care of your family um, would be difficult. But this family had a tradition. Every single night, whether it was rain or shine, they had a tradition. And it was simply this, to watch one thing and one thing after dinner. And it was football. Now you may be wondering, what does a family that lives in the outskirts of Chicago, what team are they watching? I have to say they weren't watching my Purdue Boilermakers. They weren't even watching the IU Hoosiers. No, they were watching one Indiana team, and that was the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You may be wondering, what family am I speaking about? I'm speaking about none other than the Rudiger family. I'm speaking 
about Rudy. And I have a confession. You can still be 30 years old and have never watched the movie except for a couple weeks ago and still be welcomed to Indiana. So if you, if you don't know the story of Rudy, let me catch you up just a little bit. Rudy Rudiger was a boy with dyslexia who stood five foot six inches tall. And as one person said, he barely weighed 165 pounds soaking wet. And yet Rudy Rudiger had one desire. Rudy's desire was simply this. It was to play for the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And Rudy would go through all the lengths that it would in order for him to be accepted. It wasn't after not one, not two, but after three rejections, Rudy finally got into the University of Notre Dame. And finally, on November 8, 1975, Rudy would play his first and only game for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. What a story about this wee little man who had one desire, and it was to play for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And yet today, today we have a story about another little man, a a little man thousands of years ago, way before there was ever an ESPN, before there was even a Notre Dame, or dare I even say before we had our boiler makers. And this man was Zacchaeus, and he had one simple desire. And what was that desire? It was simply to see who is this man named Jesus? Who is this man that everyone's been raving about, that as Jesus has been going throughout Luke's gospel, he's been opening the eyes of the blind, he's been opening deaf ears, he has been casting out demons. Who is this person named Jesus? And yet, while amazing as it is that Zacchaeus this morning has a desire, what is more important is that this morning we will see that Jesus has a desire. You may ask, what does Jesus greatly desire to do? And it's simply this. It is to seek and to save the lost. If you get nothing from what I say this morning in Luke 19, 1 through 10, Luke wants you and I to see this, that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. If you want to know what gets Jesus up in the morning, what makes Jesus' day, it's simply this, to seek and to save the lost. That will be our big idea today in Luke 19, 1 through 10. And we will see that through two points. The first point we will see is Zacchaeus' desire in verses 1 through 7. Again, Zacchaeus' desire in verses 1 through 7. And then we will see Jesus' desire in verses 8 through 10. We'll see Jesus' desire in verses 8 through 10. So let's start out. Luke 19, 1 says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is very significant because as we have seen through Luke's gospel, Jesus has been telling us time and time again, it will be in Jerusalem where he will go to a cross. So I want you to think about this. Jesus is approximately, as commentators tell us, he's 12 miles from Jerusalem. If we think about this, um, Castleton Community Church, we are approximately eight miles from College Park. So if we imagine just for a second that Castleton is Jericho, Jesus is a, or Jerusalem is approximately four miles past College Park. So think about this. Why is that important? It's because there in Jerusalem, Jesus is going to lay down his life and he's going to die the most gruesome death. And Jesus is simply 12 miles from this taking place. 
And so we know Jesus is moving through Jericho. And now in verse 2, look with me as Luke says this. He says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. The fact that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector who is rich actually tells us a lot. As we have seen through Luke's gospel, tax collectors were the most despised and hated people in the first century. We know this as Tommy has told us that it was the goal and job of tax collectors not only to collect taxes from God's people, but they were known for upcharging on the taxes that they collected. It's hard to think of a modern-day example that would compare to the amount of hatred that tax collectors faced in the first century. I think back to, to 2008, as I was just entering high school, there was a lot of controversy over one person. Who am I speaking about? I'm speaking about none other than LeBron James. Everybody was wondering, where is LeBron James going to go? ESPN was following him day in and day out, and they, they covered his whole story with what people called the decision. Where is LeBron going to go? Is he going to stay in Cleveland with the Cleveland Cavaliers, or is he going to go all the way to Miami and create what we know as the big three? And finally, for you sports fans who know, it came time for LeBron to decide where he was going to go, and he looked at the camera and said those words, I'm taking my talents to Miami. If you remember, the internet went crazy. People stormed the streets yelling out, traitor, people burning LeBron's jersey, saying how much they hated him. And yet, for the amount of scorn and hate that LeBron James gets, it doesn't even compare to the amount of hate that a tax collector would have faced. Imagine now, imagine you not being in the 10% tax bracket or the 12 or 22 or 24%. Imagine out of your paycheck, as you look at that pay stub, the government has taken out 60% of your paycheck. If we think milk is expensive now, imagine being in the first century trying to take care of your family with tax collectors. So Luke tells us not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, but Luke also tells us that Zacchaeus is rich. In Luke's gospel, we have seen that Jesus had, has, has had many teachings against the rich. We see this especially in his parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And remember just a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus came across a rich ruler where when the rich ruler was given the opportunity to follow Jesus, what did he do? He looked at his belongings, he looked at all that he had, and he said, Jesus, I'm okay, and he walked away sad. And yet Jesus responded, he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus would have been an outcast. He would have been hated by all of the Jews and everyone he encountered in life. And yet look with me with what verse 3 tells us about Zacchaeus. Luke tells us, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus so bad? The, the text doesn't really tell us why. Perhaps it was because if you think back earlier in Luke 5 when Matthew the tax collector got saved, perhaps it had reached Zacchaeus' ears that Jesus was kind to tax collectors. But we, we really don't know why Zacchaeus wanted to see him so bad, but all we know is that Zacchaeus just wanted to see who is this Jesus figure. 
But look with me again in verse 3. But there's only one problem, and you know what the problem is. Zacchaeus is a wee little man. He can't see Jesus on account of the crowd. And so what would you do? What would you do if you heard that Jesus, the one who's been doing miracles that nobody can do, what would you do if you heard Jesus was coming to town but you were too small to see him? I can tell you what I would do. Probably pack up my bags. I'm a, I'm a known pessimist. I'd say I'll probably get them next year. I'll probably just ask Susie how it was. I would pack up my bags, but not Zacchaeus. In verse 4, we see that Zacchaeus, he runs on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus goes up and says, I see that tree. I see those branches. I think I could weasel my way up there and climb. And he goes to the very place just so when Jesus passes by, he can just get a mere glimpse to see Jesus. And so what what happens on account of this? Verse 5 tells us, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Look at the very first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth when when he sees Zacchaeus. Notice he doesn't say, my, what a wee little man are you? What are you doing in that tree? He doesn't say, my, what is your name? The very first thing that Jesus says to Zacchaeus is simply Zacchaeus. Isn't it interesting? Zacchaeus has been doing all that he can to try to see who Jesus is, and he doesn't even know. And yet the very first word Jesus says is, Zacchaeus, I know you. This entire time, Jesus is not merely passing through Jericho on a whim. He is passing by simply to see Zacchaeus. And if that's not amazing enough, look with me also what he says in verse 5. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I want to zoom in on just one word, and it's that word must. Now you may be wondering, what is so magical about a word must? Well, this Greek word that Luke uses Every time he uses it in his gospel, it is used for something that is of utmost importance. We think about this back in Luke 2.49. You remember when Jesus was going with his parents into the temple and they lose him not for one, but two, but three days. As a kid, my mom regularly lost me in Walmart. It was a little game that we used to play. She'd say, stay by me. She looked away. I was in the clothes rack. And you can imagine the, the joy, finally, when she finds me. But the text tells us back in Luke 2, 49, that, Je- that Jesus' family had lost him for multiple days. And when his parents finally come back and are reunited, the very thing that Jesus says is he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or think with me back in Luke 9, 22, when Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. What is the conclusion? Jesus says in the same way that I must die and go to Jerusalem, Zacchaeus, I must stay with you today. This isn't just something that Jesus says he kind of has to do. Jesus says this is something that I must do. And so church, aren't you glad that at times when you feel insignificant, when you feel unknown, when you think about, does anybody know the things that I worry about, that Jesus shows us with Zacchaeus, that he knows us, that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head, or in my case, the lack thereof. Think about this. Jesus knows us greatly. 
And it's at this point where we would think that simply Luke would wrap up his, his narrative on Zacchaeus. We would think at this point that the story would be over. And yet, as we look at verse 7, we see that there's another person that, that Luke wants to bring into the narrative, and that is the crowd in their reaction. Look with me at verse 7. And we see here that Luke says, and when they saw it, and when they saw it, so what did they see? It was the crowd. The crowd sees that Zacchaeus has done all that he can to get to see Jesus. They see Zacchaeus meets with Jesus. And now Jesus and Zacchaeus are going back to Zacchaeus' house. And when the crowd sees this situation, Luke tells us their reaction. He says, and when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Where have we heard a reaction like this before? Where in Luke's gospel have we heard the fact that when Jesus meets with all types of sinners, that there is grumbling? Think back with me back in Luke 5, 29 through 32, when Matthew the tax collector is saved, what does he do? He invites his tax collector friends over and they all have a meal with Jesus. And Luke 5, 30 says, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Think with me back in, later in Luke 15 too, right before the telling of the story of the prodigal son, right before Jesus tells that parable and he tells two other parables, we see that the text tells us that sinners and tax collectors are drawing near to Jesus. And we see that when the Pharisees see this, it says, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Church, I, I have a question for you. What makes you grumble? What, what makes you complain? What is it that happens in your life that when it happens, what comes out of you is simply grumbling? I can tell you that Autumn and I have the, the privilege of driving to work every morning. And when we come to church, because she works over at the VCA, we get on Hazeldale Parkway. And right when we get to that roundabout and see those cars lining up, I start to grumble. Start to wonder, what is the BMV that gave some of these drivers their licenses? I want to know. I grumble. When unexpected things happen in my calendar, I plan out my days, I plan out my times, and when somebody bothers that or ruins that, I start to grumble. Church, I want you to think for just a second, are there types of people that you know or people that you work with that you would say are simply your enemies? That if you were to see Jesus interact with them as he does with Zacchaeus, you would simply grumble. Think back to the prodigal son. What was the problem with the elder brother? It was the fact that when everyone was rejoicing at the return of the prodigal son, he was throwing a fit. Luke, Luke narrows in on the crowd because he wants you and I to see that our reaction when Jesus extends mercy to sinners should not be anger or grumbling, but it should simply be saying, there goes my Savior doing what he does best, showing mercy and grace to sinners. We must simply be a people whose hearts smile 
and not frown when Jesus reaches out to all types of sinners. In church, I think that our church actually does an amazing job at this. I think that we are known for being a community of people who welcomes all types of people. And so church, I simply want to challenge you with this. Let us always pray that God would make us a people who simply rejoice when Jesus shows grace and mercy to all types of sinners. And so as we close our first point, we see that, that Zacchaeus greatly desired one thing. And what was that? It was simply to get a look at Jesus, to simply see who is this Jesus figure. Zacchaeus was willing to climb a sycamore tree if it meant that he could simply just get a look or get a peek at who this Jesus was. If that wasn't great enough, now we're going to move to our second point, and we're going to see Jesus's desire in verses 8 through 10. Again, we're going to see Jesus's desire in verses 8 through 10. So again, what, what did Zacchaeus and Jesus talk about when he was his guest? I wish that we knew. I wish that we kind of got a dialogue. Did, did, what did they talk about? Did they talk about the Old Testament? Did they talk about their days? We really don't know what it is they talked about. But what we do know, and what Luke does tell us, is that after they have a conversation, and Jesus has stayed with him for however many days he does, that Zacchaeus wants to respond and say some things. Look with me in verse 8 to see what Zacchaeus says. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. If you and I look at Zacchaeus' words carefully, don't they remind us of Jesus' encounter earlier with the rich young ruler? Think with me, when the rich young ruler meets Jesus, what does the rich ruler say? He says, Lord, all of your commandments since I was young, I've kept all of them. So we not only see that the rich ruler thinks that he is rich righteously, but we see that he is rich with possessions. And yet Jesus looks him in the face and says, this one thing you still lack. So all that you have and come follow me. And what does the rich ruler say? He looks at his possessions. He looks at all that he has and looks at Jesus as a constellation prize. He says, Jesus, no, I'm okay. And he walks away sad. And yet, here is Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector who voluntarily gives up half of his goods and is willing to pay back fourfold anyone that he has defrauded. Zacchaeus is living proof that while it may be hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, it is not impossible. Praise God. I love, as a pastor once said, it's not wrong when you have things. Some of us drove in this morning with heated seats. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Some of us at home have wonderful TVs that are great for streaming, not only the game, but Netflix and Christmas movies. Praise God for that. I love this pastor said again, it's not wrong when you have things. It is not wrong when we have things that the Lord has blessed us with, but... He said, it's wrong when things have you. The problem with the rich ruler is that it was the accumulation of all that he had that made Jesus look at, as, as mere nothing. 
And yet Zacchaeus looks at Jesus and says, I'm willing to give up everything to follow you. We ask this question, how did this change happen in Zacchaeus? How did one of the richest tax collectors in all of Jericho, somebody who was known for defrauding people, loving money, how did he go from doing that to simply now saying, I give it all away? It's actually really simple. Zacchaeus met Jesus, and this changed everything. We see this most clearly in the way that Zacchaeus wants to pay back everything he's given fourfold. In the Old Testament, the law simply said that if you stole anything, you had to restore it in full and add a fifth to it. It was only if somebody stole an ox or a sheep and killed it would they have to pay it back fourfold. And yet Zacchaeus desires greatly to pay everything back fourfold. And what we see is that Zacchaeus is beginning to see people as Jesus does, which is worthy of respect, which is proof of a changed heart. And if we think that the words coming from Zacchaeus are surprising, look with me in verses 9 through 10 to see what Jesus' words are. Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' words, and he says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What greater thing could be said of Zacchaeus? It's amazing that as Zacchaeus and Jesus go into his house, what do the crowds call him? They say, there goes Jesus to dine in with a sinner. And yet Jesus calls this sinner a son of Abraham. Again, if you grew up in Sunday school, you sang a song talking about Abraham and how many sons he, he had, saying, Father Abraham had many sons, right? And Jesus says today, Zacchaeus has become one of them. Zacchaeus is a child of Abraham, and now this tax collector that everyone would have hated, Jesus says, he is now in my family. And now in verse 10, we see Jesus' desire greatly when Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus says this, very, says this very phrase in verse 10, he is alluding all the way back to the book of Ezekiel. If you read the book of Ezekiel, the one phrase that you will see repeated over and over and over and over again is the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And in Ezekiel 34, we see that when God confronts Israel's shepherds who have not taken care of his people, who have used them and abused them and have left them, God responds and he says, I myself, I'm going to come and I'm going to be my people's shepherd. And he picks it up in verse 16 in Ezekiel where he says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Jesus shows us his earnest desire in verse 10 when he says that I have simply come to seek and to save the lost. If it's amazing that earlier in verse 3, we see that Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, in verse 10, we see the exact same word used. That what? That Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. While Zacchaeus may have been searching for Jesus, Jesus says, no, Zacchaeus, I am the seeker. I am the one who goes after my people. You may ask the question, how did Jesus 
seek. How did Jesus go to seek the lost? Well, we imagine that before he was a baby born in Bethlehem, as we are going to sing about as Christmas comes up, we see that in eternity past, he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. We see in the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 6, that we get a little picture in the throne room. And what are the angels singing back and forth? Holy, holy, holy. So Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, comes all the way from heaven, all the way down to a little manger, and is born and lives amongst sinners like you and me. And for 33 years, he is growing. And finally, in the last three years of his life, Jesus goes amongst the towns preaching and seeking and telling lost sinners, come and be forgiven. If you were to ask, what is Jesus's desire for the lost? You would be right in saying it is to seek them. You may ask, how does Jesus save the lost? Not only does how does Jesus seek the lost, but how does he actually save them? Well, it's because remember, as Luke started out his Luke 19, Jesus is not stopping in Jericho. Jesus is merely passing through Jericho, and it will be in the place of Jerusalem where Jesus will die on a cross so that sinners just like Zacchaeus can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. This is the good news of the gospel, that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus has not merely come to seek the lost, but he's actually come to save them. Church, aren't you glad that Jesus is a type of Savior that doesn't just come to seek the lost, but that he actually saves them? He doesn't just wait for, for, the, for those who are sinners to make themselves more presentable. Jesus actually comes to lost sinners seeking their repentance, saying, if you, like Zacchaeus, will simply turn, you can be welcomed into my family. If you are an unbeliever here today, and you were to say, yeah, I've tried the whole church thing, or, or you are curious, Zacchaeus' story shows us that if you want to seek Jesus, Zacchaeus shows us that you indeed will find him. I love the words of, of Matt Chandler speaking of those whom Jesus accepts. He says, Jesus only takes the dirty. He doesn't take the clean because there aren't any. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is your invitation, friend, that while you deserve hell like all of humanity, Jesus in his person and work has come to lost sinners and said, friend, today you can be forgiven. Friend, today you can be welcomed as a precious son or daughter by simply trusting in Jesus' name. I love at my old church that I used to go to before I went to College Park and before I was here, they would start off every Sunday with these words. They would say, Jesus welcomes you as you are. Whatever state or condition or sin you are in, Jesus welcomes you as you are, but. But he has real plans to change you and not simply keep you as you are. This is exactly what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Jesus did not simply want lodging for the night. Jesus knew that he wanted to simply meet Zacchaeus and change his very heart. And friend, 
if you are here today and you would say you and Jesus are strangers, here is the Son of Man telling you what he deeply desires, which is to seek and to save you. And for all of us who would say that we are believers, we would say whether we've been saved a year or we've been saved for 52 years, Zacchaeus is simply a reminder for all of us. The, the first thing that Zacchaeus' story reminds us of is that you and I must always rejoice in the fact that Jesus goes after the lost. That we must not simply cross our hands and fold our, our shoulders, but we must simply rejoice in the fact when Jesus does what he does best, which is seeking and saving the lost. And finally, Zacchaeus also helps us, church, to remember that Zacchaeus' story is our story. Because remember, at all of us at one point were just like Zacchaeus. We were lost, as Ephesians 2 says, we were walking the course of this world. And yet, whether you remember the day you were saved or you don't, there was a day where Jesus, the Son of Man, came after you, sought you, saved you, and rejoiced in the day you believed. Church, our story is one of being saved from the depths of hell by Jesus' precious blood on the cross. We, of all people, have been given a gift that we are going to sing about for all of eternity. As you leave this morning, as you go to your favorite Mexican restaurants, as you go to Olive Garden or wherever it is you eat, and you start to, start to think back, what did that, what did that uh, bald man say? What, what were some of the words he said this morning? I want you to remember that Jesus greatly desires to seek and to save the lost. If you remember nothing of what we've discussed this morning, you must remember that Jesus greatly desires to seek and to save the lost. That is our story. Church, in just a few moments, we are going to practice yet again communion. And as we take the bread and as we take the juice, I hope that as we do that, that we would simply remember the cost at, at which it cost Jesus to seek and to save the lost. As we look at the bread and we look at the juice, we see visibly this is what it cost our Savior to seek and to save the lost. Church, what better reputation does our Savior have than not only coming to sinners, not merely tolerating sinners, but joyfully seeking them so that he may save them. Church, Zacchaeus' story is not a mere children's story that we talk about a wee little man. It is the greatest news that we've heard, that Jesus, the Holy One, the Perfect One, has come to joyfully seek and to save sinners like you and like me. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful that you have not left us in our sins, but that you have come to actually do something about it. Oh, Father, your grace is amazing and it is shocking. The fact that if you could seek and save a sinner like Zacchaeus, Lord, then that means there is good news for everyone in here. Oh, Father, I pray that as we sing and as we soon partake of communion, would we be reminded of the cost and the great joy that you showed when you came to seek and to save us. Father, be with us now. We ask in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.